Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, you and I, we're on this podcast all the time. We talk about basketball as a business, right? Giannis Inc., Nike sneakers, television ratings. We get kind of consumed by this idea of the business side of the sport. But you know what? Basketball, at its best, is a religion. I mean, that's why I'm out here saying stuff like, let's take a pilgrimage to go see Michael Jordan's high school. Let's talk about players who are playing with a purpose, not just purpose, right? You get all these like religious uh, innuendos around it. And that's what really gets me excited because I grew up kind of indoctrinated by the sport. I really felt kinship with the Cameron crazies because you and I went to Duke Carolina on Wednesday night. And first things first, I mean, Zion injury, I'm sure we'll talk about it, was just so sad to see and have the night spoiled right out of the gate like that. Yes. But the atmosphere and in the environment in Cameron Indoor Stadium was unlike anything else I've seen from a basketball event in my entire life. It gave me goosebumps and a wide smile from start to finish. <laughs> I know you're a Carolina fan. I saw you giggling through the whole night too, Andrew. You were pretty excited and and caught up in the moment as well. Throw on top of that Barack Obama, another one of our kindred spirit basketball diehards showing up and getting crazy uh, love from the Cameron crowd. It was a night to remember, Andrew, and not just for the USS Zion you know, incident, um, but just the whole scene, wasn't it? It was wild um, from top to bottom. And we should say, full disclosure at the top here, this is going to be an abbreviated episode of Open Floor. Um, my, ben yeah, <laughs> my Ben Simmons, Kendall Jenner, cold has metastasized <laughs> over the last few days and is now much crappier. The Open Floor on yeah. the Open Road field trip was awesome and left me pretty sick. I got in Thursday and drank half a bottle of NyQuil <laughs> and slept for 14 hours. Ben was traveling all day, and so neither one of us have watched NBA games. Um, so I have no takes on the yeah. Scott Foster mess with the Lakers and the Rockets, but we're just going to— Well, Andrew, look, just keep it real, okay? It's the Duke basketball hangover edition. The BG Tours <laughs> takes North Carolina uh, field trip was maybe a little bit more than your body was you know, prepared to handle. Yes. That's fine. Um, so we're going to keep it short today, but look, I need you to get in on the gushing with me because I mentioned on last episode— Let's keep it real about Charlotte All-Star Weekend, right? Uh It was below average. We took our fair shots uh, at Charlotte. But the benefit of doing that is that we left the door wide open for us to just go goo-goo gaga about (laughs) this Duke environment. And that was the first game you've been to at Cameron for UNC Duke, right? It was. And, you know, it pains me to say it. But seeing a game at Cameron is about as cool as any experience I've had in sports. Um, And I was geeking out. I was there on press row. You and I were not sitting together. I was wedged between a couple like full-time college basketball writers, a couple gray beards who who work in the triangle down there. And um, I was a little bit embarrassed because I'm sitting there like, just geeking out, taking selfies and stuff. Like I'm there covering the NBA angle and Zion and, and not necessarily like breaking down Roy Williams's rotations and everybody else. I think like 
those games are pretty normal covering those games. Um, but for me, like I couldn't believe we were allowed to sit on the floor, first of all, which all the media sits courtside for Duke UNC. I, I think mostly because there's nowhere else to put them in Cameron, which has about 9,000 seats. It's like basically a high school gym. And so being able to sit there, I, you know, all night I was pitching myself being like, I cannot believe this is real and we get to be here. No, it was completely surreal. I mean, I'm sitting there with, you know, Duke college students who have camped out in Kayville, slept in tents since January 12th, so more than a month just to get tickets to to watch that game, right? Their body painted in blue paint, wearing, you know, crazy costumes. They got glitter everywhere. They're reaching over (laughs) the top of me to try to screw with the the UNC players when they're inbounding the ball at half court. Meanwhile, to my right, as I pan... Barack Obama, Coach K, Roy Williams. I mean, come on. You got to be kidding me, right? Um, And the whole game, even after the Zion injury, I was really impressed. Like, yes, it sucked the energy out of the building when it happened. But, you know, the crowd, like in an NBA environment, if that had happened, like if LeBron goes down with like an ankle tweak in the first minute of the game, the crowd is gone. They're done. Their crowd was just crazy the whole night. Even when they were down 20, they're like chanting at like the adults in the upper deck to like stand up and try to like help Duke rally. <laughs> I mean, it, it was really something else. I was going through my mental memory bank, and maybe you did this too, of like what compares to it. The only thing I could really come up with was seeing Germany play uh, in a World Cup match, uh, a knockout round match uh, in Germany, like in Berlin at that big stadium. Cause that, that game just left me like physically exhausted. I like my body couldn't handle the level of excitement that that crowd, you know, kind of put out over the course of the, the two hours, right. Uh, you know, for that game, but there's no NBA environment. I mean, even the best arenas, whether it's, you know, Utah, you know, Golden State, San Antonio, whoever else you consider in, in that category, Boston, I'm sure you're going to want to throw them in there for your Celtics <laughs> love, Celtics. but, uh, I mean, forget about it. None of that compares to the Cameron crazies. Yeah. My favorite part, uh, pregame, walking around with you, you you looked around at Cameron and said, man, I really feel bad for any school that has like a bigger a bigger basketball stadium after you and I both <laughs> toured UNC, which has a 20,000 seat arena. Um, yeah. I- Look, that was a shot at you, not a shot at <laughs> North Carolina, because the thing was, it was hilarious watching you at the arena because you had this gleam in your eye. You were so excited for the game, like, you know, writing about Zion, everything else, Obama being there. Like, he walks in, he gets a standing ovation from the crowd, and we're just thinking, like, man, this is like, this can't even really be happening, right? Yeah. But then you also kept self-checking yourself. You didn't want to really give them the full credit because this is the school you hate. It's like me going to the, the shoe, you know, for an Ohio State football game and being like, wow. These Buckeyes fans, they're really something. Like, they really love their football. Like I'm sure you were you were dealing with some real serious like mental uh I don't know, like contradictions, weren't you? Well, yeah, I look, I do have a take on the fans um because it's true. Ooh. A lot of people have asked me like so did the energy just get sucked out of the building during that game after the Zion injury and and the answer is no. I mean, there was maybe like a 90-second Paul cast over the arena, and then it got right back to kind of like ear-splitting noise and wild from start to finish, even when Carolina was up 15 or 20. 
By the way, shout out to my guy, Luke May. Maybe he's the lottery pick we all should have been worried about on Wednesday night. Um, yeah, should he be number one overall, Andrew? I <laughs> mean, looked, you look at the, the textbook nature of his game. I mean, he just brings it all to the table, doesn't he? He's skilled, you know. He can hit from outside. He can hit from inside. He's number one on my board after Wednesday night. Luke May is untouchable <laughs> for life. <laughs> um, but the... You know, so my take on the Duke fans, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when I was in college, I went to Boston College, and the type of kids who would camp out for days to land in the front row of some of these games, like, those were not the biggest sports fans I knew. They were just kind of, I don't want to sound too cool for school but I I would watch they were they were in it for the pageantry more than the actual basketball okay and I think that's true for a lot of the Duke kids who camp out in Kayville and make these funny signs I don't know if they know basketball that well I think that had I been been a real Duke basketball fan and watching Zion hobble off and not know how he and like whether he was going to be healthy whether he was ever going to play again this season I would have been too freaked out to, to cheer my head off, but I think the reason the, the Cameron Crazies didn't skip a beat is because most of them don't know basketball in the first place. That's my take. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you are just heaters today, Andrew. That's crazy. Well, first of all, to defend them, um, they do cheer the program. They don't cheer the individuals. Like, yes, they love the star players, obviously. Like, I saw a bunch of Zion jerseys, signs for Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett. I mean, but I, I do feel like, they cheer the program first, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's different in college basketball. And so they were able to move uh, past that injury more quickly than I think NBA fans were. But I was talking to a girl who was sitting behind me, and I left with, like, glitter and body paint <laughs> all over my clothing, all over my computer. And, and I was talking to her, and she she explained that she had been in that Kville thing for, like, more than a month. And I was like, do your parents just think you're nuts? Or, like, what's going on there? She's like, oh, no, my parents graduated in 91 and 92. They got to see title teams. Like, they expect me to be doing this. And Ugh. I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of, you know, get into that, like, third-generation cult. You know, I, I'm all about it. I, I related – I thought they were all just kindred spirits. Yeah. You know? And I, I, it was – the kids – look, to be honest – Maybe a little dorky, but Several that's okay. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna concede. Painted dweebs, <laughs> the Duke family, yeah. perfect. Okay, I'm gonna, con- I'm gonna concede the dorky part, but I think it's great that they've like, you know, constructed, you know, this entire culture among their uh, undergraduates around this. Uh-huh. And I was impressed by the di- diversity too, Andrew. You know, let's let's be honest. I mean, it was you know gender balanced, racially balanced, and there was kids from all walks of life who were doing it. The fact that you're going to take shots at all these basketball-loving diehards after they hosted you on the court <laughs> to watch the games at Coach K Court in Cameron Indoor Stadium, you should be ashamed of yourself. No, no shots, no shots. Um, actually, there have been plenty of shots, but it's, I didn't see any diversity. Everybody was painted blue. I don't know how you saw it. You must have been looking closer than I did. Um, but it was a fantastic night, okay? I can't even, I can't lie here. Like, dude, a, a game at Cameron is, is as good as it gets. And you asked me for parallels. The only thing that compares for me, I, you and I have both been to a lot of NBA games, and I think that's part of why we loved it so much on Wednesday night um, as, as the, like, coup de gras after our seven-day road trip together. Um the the college atmosphere is just sort of like a different beast and the only other game i've been to that was that special was the rose bowl between auburn and florida state which was actually the the national title game i think in like 2012 maybe 2013 um but 
that was another one where just like you and I courtside at, at Cameron, like for, for some reason, I don't know why they're allowed to do this, but like college football writers are allowed to go down and be on the field for the final, final five minutes of any college football game. And so like, I got to be on the field at the Rose Bowl, which is just, and like that, for anyone who remembers that game, there are several touchdowns scored in the final minutes. Like that was as good as it gets until potentially Wednesday night. Um, and really the only thing that was missing was Zion. Like I can't imagine it was cool as it is, but I can't imagine how much cooler it would have been if we'd gotten to see 40 minutes of Zion Williamson. So should we jump yeah, in at the same time? At the same time, though, could we have handled it? I think that's the real Maybe question. Not. Like, you came home <laughs> sick. My mind is blown. I can barely even construct real sentences, you know, describing how excited I am by this environment. So maybe it was like a good protection for us that uh, he wound up, you know, basically playing 30 seconds and yeah. that was it. I've been to bigger, like, basketball moments, you know, NBA finals games, All Star weekends, whatever else you want to throw on, like, that kind of top of that list. Uh-huh. But that environment was basically the best sports environment that I can remember. And I go back. Um, like even comparing to like my win connoisseur tales from this season, like Duke basketball to me was better than Alabama football, Andrew. And like, I love the Bama football experience. I mean, I, the grandmothers who are screaming about like revoking the scholarship for the puncher after he, he shanks one early in the game, they wind up winning by like 30 anyways. It doesn't matter, but like they're that invested. Yeah. I just, I mean, how many places in the world inside or outside of sports do you get hundreds if not thousands of people together like jumping up and down and chanting in unison for multiple hours in a row you just don't see it that's just outside normal human behavior and i just tip my cap to them but yes we can talk zion yeah well and as far as your win connoisseur life the one thing i i definitely take solace in is knowing that you did not purchase a jersey or a piece of duke apparel uh on wednesday you were you were trying to and i really had you shown up like in a Duke t-shirt afterward, I would have been pretty disgusted <laughs> with you. Like the wind connoisseur is it's a good bit, but like I would have had to draw a line. So thank you for showing some restraint. Um, and as well, I did do one thing in open floor flashing though. Uh, I did buy a magnet. I got a Duke good. magnet. I also got a UNC magnet though, when we toured, uh, you know, that incredible stadium, uh, you know, Dean Dome. Yeah. I got a magnet there too, but I'm just, that's just in the interest of balance. Well, okay. I'm look, trying to keep everybody. Happy. You also got a Carolina t-shirt, did not buy a Duke t-shirt. So I appreciate that. And as far as the wind connoisseur life, just remember who actually got the W on Wednesday night. Okay. Luke May, oh, Cameron oh, really Johnson claim showed that? up. It was a great night. Um, but as far as the mail here, we got a couple questions. The first is from Jeff, who says, Hey guys, I just watched the replay of the USS Zion going down and injuring his knee while his shoe exploded. I know you guys were somewhere in the vicinity. Please tell me that you have not conspired against the USS Zion to advance your agenda and continue promoting shoes that need an app to be laced and require charging every night. So on that note, what what was your take after the initial injury? Plenty of takes. First of all, we got a lot of accusations of jinxing. You know, that's just like an, a Sports Illustrated standby, you know, so maybe people thought like our powers combined were what jinxed Zion after we had hyped him up so much. Um, I think we probably have to just take those accusations on the chin, Andrew. I don't know if we can really 
you know, uh, weasel out of that. I mean, we both came in there wanting to write about Zion. We had planned to write about Zion for days in advance. Um, so that is a sports writer's law that if you get that invested into your topic, something's bound to go wrong. And sure enough, I was up changing my column at 4 a.m. because <laughs> the entire thing got got blown up by that shoe. A couple other things real quick. Uh-huh. We heard from a lot of people about how Zion could have been saved if he had the self-lacing shoes. I also heard from a lot of people who were, you know, making fun of Nike because, you know, the Samsung version of those self-lacing shoes are basically bricking out on people like the app isn't working. And let me just say, my takeaway from the self-lacing shoe side of this is that the Blue Bubble Gang always rides out first okay it's like that's your own fault wow. if you spend three if you spend 350 dollars on a pair of shoes that has an app and you don't have an apple shoe of course it's probably not going to work on the are Samsung. you getting you, kickbacks you realize, from nike for this or, or are no, you just a proud I'm, son of oregon no i'm a proud blue bubble gang member i'm just saying like if <laughs> if it's not going to work on one app which app do you think is going to hold up better Apple or Samsung? I mean, come on. Of course, it's so going to be the blaming, Apple app. They're going to spend. <laughs> you're blaming the people who don't have iPhones. That's wait. What's the what's the phone that they use? Sorry, I, I have an iPhone. It's, it's uh, who knows. I don't know any other phones besides <laughs> a- Apple uh, iPhones. As we a Blue Bubble gang member, but it's some sort of Samsung Galaxy, whatever. But uh, hopefully, Nike can sort that out, and hopefully, they can sort out the sneaker issue too. I felt bad for Paul George, by the way kind of catching strays here because it was his shoe as if like he personally designed and wear tested it to see if it would hold up to Zion Williamson, like the biggest athletic freak we've seen in 10 years. Yeah. Guys don't blame Paul George for that. Um, but the other thing was I got so many people uh, emailing me and texting me Carlos Boozer's tweet where he's like saying, you know, get well soon Zion, but he tagged Zion national park and I just thought it was so great that even if Open Floor did jinx Zion's injury, at least we could positively spin it forward by you know roping in a national park angle. Because who else besides Open Floor could do that? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm not gonna take responsibility for jinxing Zion Wednesday night. It just as easily could have been Barack Obama who showed up and jinxed Zion. So <laughs> wait a minute. We'll let How the listeners decide. All right. Well, look. He showed up to see Zion. We showed up to see Zion. I don't know. Your mileage may vary as far as who specifically applied the jinx to uh, old USS Zion. And by the way, for anyone who does not understand that joke, that probably means you didn't listen to like the 85th minute of our last podcast. But we talked about um, warships and the virtue of warships as a tourist destination. So... <laughs> It's, we're we're a, a strange <laughs> basketball podcast, um, but I will say. No, but on the injury, on the injury though, didn't you make this point to me the other night that in the building it didn't seem that serious? Like I was watching from my seat. He was not very far away, as you mentioned. We had great seats. Yeah. Um, it looked to me like a, a minor knee sprain, like straight off the top. Like even before I realized he blew the shoe out. I mean, he just tweaked it a little bit sideways. But he, he didn't seem like he was in that much pain. Yep. Uh, they didn't seem like they were really panicking on the sideline. So to me, when it came out knee sprain and that he's going to be, I guess, day to day, or you know, I guess Coach K said, hopefully back in the near future, that didn't really surprise me. But then you have this reaction outside the building that was just like everybody lost their mind. Yeah, it was pretty interesting um, watching it unfold because to me. I, the way I read it was, all right, so that's a knee sprain. The second he went down, I was like, he's done for the night. And it was it was bleakly hilarious because I didn't think it was a serious injury 
But watching him walk off, I was like, so we're not going to see him. We saw, came here. We have been hyped for days over this and 30 seconds and it's over. Um, and I texted you, code red, code red. Uh, so that was that was rough. Yeah, but at least we got that dunk in pregame though, right, Andrew? <laughs> I mean, it was almost worth it just for that pregame dunk. I mean, he just torpedoes through the air towards the rim for these dunks. You know what? Can I ask you something? Um, watching you pregame, you take so much joy in getting in perfect position to catch a video you got a great shot of obama on the baseline and i was wondering watching you buzzing up and down the court getting the perfect ig shots like do you ever (laughs) think that your first love is actually photography and like professional instagram taking it's a good point. It's a good question. I mean, I think of myself as a writer first, second, and last. I mean, you know, <laughs> even this podcast thing, I look at sort of as like a side hustle. Yeah. But it was just a product of that of that incredible basketball environment, the exuberance that was going on in that building. And, and when Zion took the court pregame, I mean, the cheers, all eyes on Zion. I hate when people compare him to LeBron because that's unfair. But he has that LeBron-like magnetism where it's like, okay, this guy's out here. Whatever he does, it's going to be news. If he's dancing with his teammates to the pregame rap song, if he's giving high fives to the people who you're calling dweebs in the, in the student <laughs> section, if he's throwing a self alley-oop and taking off from near the free throw line and just pummeling the rim into submission, yep. all of that is going to be news. I mean, he has that level of a, a vibe to him. And, you know, seeing it up and close and personal, I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, there's no question he's got that magnetism uh, that's so rare and that we're always looking for in sports. We call it celebrity. I mean, whatever you want to call it, uh, he's got it. And, uh, you know, it was such a shame to see him go down. It, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, the the celebrity side of it, it was funny, man. Because, first of all, everyone was excited to be there for UNC Duke. I certainly was as, like, a lifelong Heels fan. It's It was a bucket list item for both of us. But talking to people before the game, you know, and I was talking to some NBA people, I was talking to, you know, network executives, and everyone who was there was just so geeked out about seeing Zion in person. Right, And right. It's, a, it's really a credit to, like, the myth that he has built for himself, because there's just nothing like it right now, and, um, and I do... I do hope he comes back this year. What do you think of the reaction Wednesday night and um, and the idea that he should shut it down for the rest of the season? Because I kind of have mixed feelings about it. I'm curious for your thoughts. Yeah, well, first things, I mean, his injury, it reminded me of that conversation that developed around the whole argument uh, in Washington, D.C. between that Native American elder and the guys with the red hats, you know, and it's like everyone was just projecting their own story or their own angle on that confrontation. It wound up just like becoming this just like series of lightning rods, like just crazy uh, agendas being driven in all directions. That's how the Zion injury kind of felt to me, because like I said, we were there in the building. Uh, like you said, okay, he's out for the rest of the game, but it didn't look like season ending or career altering really in the slightest. The reaction from their team wasn't like of you know, this horror. Like, I guess in the second half, they were a little slow to come out in the second half because they realized they didn't have Zion to kind of help them carry the day, right? Uh-huh. But it wasn't like they were all in tears trying to rally back from this injury. And so to me, this, this the fact that the conversation immediately jumped to should he ever play again for Duke? I mean, that just seemed like so twisted. Like if he's back in a week or two and this was just, you know, uh, an unfortunate case of his shoe blowing up, 
then he should just play. And it, it drives me crazy that that's sort of where this conversation has moved, where like the automatic answer is to just shut guys down. Yeah. I understand strategically resting players over the course of an 82-game season. I have no problem with that. I think it's smart practices. But you know, if we're getting to this pattern where it's like, the first sign of trouble for Kawhi, shut down for the season. Anthony <laughs> Davis, you know, basically trying to be shut down for the season. Zion, although it's a different situation because he hasn't gotten paid, I do understand that. Yeah. The immediate reaction is going to be you just shut him down for the season. I mean, shouldn't we at least ask Zion if he wants to play? I mean, he seems like he's having a heck of a good time being the big man on campus in Duke. The guy plays unbelievably hard. It's not like he's pulling the Ben Simmons approach of like loafing through the season to keep himself right. uh, healthy. If he wants to play, and it seems like he would want to play, he should be playing. And I don't understand why we all want to be like, you know, helicopter parents protecting him from himself. Yeah, uh, a lot of good thoughts there, particularly Ben Simmons. He's He definitely should have shut it down. Him playing at LSU was not really benefiting anyone because he looked miserable the entire time he was there. Zion, I think, is a little bit of a different story. I, I have some thoughts, but first, Ben... Let's talk about GM school, okay? Today's podcast is brought to you by NBA TV and SAP. Every NBA fan thinks they could be a GM, but could they really? Now, SAP and the NBA are putting four stat-savvy fans to the test in a new reality show called GM School, a team of celebrity judges, including championship GM David Griffin and Hall of Famer Kevin McHale, will decide who's ready for the front office and who needs another season to study up. Catch GM School, powered by SAP, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV. Ben, do you think you're ready it's for about the front time. office? I don't know about that, but I think it's about time we've got a reality TV show for our niche audience. I mean, forget <laughs> about trying to like steal food on islands and who's going to be able to compete traveling around the world the fastest. Forget that. Who's going to be the next Daryl Morey or who's going to be the next Billy King? That's what I care about. And you're going to be able to find out the answers to those questions by watching GM School, powered by SAP, Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV. There you go. There's no question that if you're sad enough to listen to two and a half hours of us talking about basketball every week, <laughs> you should make an extra 30 minutes in your schedule to catch GM School, uh, powered by SAP. So... Um, on that note, though, let's get back to it. The Zion shutting it down thing, I really have mixed feelings because, honestly, like I've spent my entire life decrying amateurism. I'm kind of shocked that we're in 2019 and the NBA, uh, not the NBA, the NCAA is still able to sell that lie. And, and we haven't, at, le like, at the very least, I think everybody can agree that college athletes star college athletes should be able to sign endorsements i don't know how we've come this far without making that change um but having said all that i think what i love most about watching zion williamson play is that he's kind of a gamer and you can you can tell who's actually watched zion from be, from who's just sort of knows who he is and has seen the highlights because if you watch him play the most shocking part of his game is how hard he goes at all times and how much fun he's having. And uh, and I think knowing that and knowing that those are his signatures, part of me kind of wants to see him come back. If he's healthy enough to play, I'd like to see him play. 
if he wants to play, he should play. And my guess is that he's going to want to play because this this is a team that could win a national title very easily with him, right? Yeah. Those are huge stakes. He's going to feel an obligation to his teammates. And I also think there's a real economic opportunity for him. I mean, if on that stage, endorsement money could absolutely be coming his way. And, you know, if I was anyone close to him, I'd be saying, look, you better ask Nike for an extra 30% after that whole shoe incident. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> to spin that forward into to future money down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing I thought about sort of as we went to the arena was just the level of hype that's already existed and the interest level from the NBA and Zion already. Uh Like during All-Star Weekend, go back to that Thursday, we talked to Shaq, Chuck, and Kenny. They all want to talk Zion, right? Friday, Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum, they're talking Zion. Saturday, after the dunk contest, I asked the champion, Hamadou Diallo, would you want to dunk against Zion next year? He's like, yes, bring it on. Understanding that, like, if Zion was in the contest, you know, the ratings are probably going to be double. And even the guys on Sunday, LeBron James and Steph Curry, they made the same point you just made, which is his intangibles and his work ethic are both off the charts for a player of his magnitude, the, how hard he plays, how polished he is with the media, how humble and appreciative he is to play basketball. That's what LeBron and Steph Curry were hyping him up for, not just the dunks, not just the spectacular blocks and the, you know, the crazy plays in transition, right? right? So this guy is absolutely the real deal across the board. I had one uh, front office executive tell me he thought if Zion was in the NBA this year, he would have added seven to 10 wins to his team just based on them having Zion in their lineup. Yeah. Uh, another coach told me that he would rather have Zion this year, right now, you know, the 18 year old version of Zion over Luka Doncic, the guy who's going to you know, probably win uh, rookie of the year unanimously, right? So these are the opinions that are out there percolating. And when I'm hearing all this buzz from the NBA guys, when I'm hearing th- those kinds of rosy assessments of Zion, you know, part of me is saying, look, he absolutely should have had the choice to come to the NBA before the season started, right? But the other part of me is doing that that double take, and it's saying, look, he looks very happy in college. This Duke experience has definitely benefited him. He has gone from being a guy who probably would have been a lottery pick to a guy who's definitely going to be the number one pick. Yeah, he's improved over the course of this season. You know, the real hardcore scout guys like the Mike Schmitzes of the world just have raved to me about how how much better Zion has got during this season. It's wild. And of course, his profile has definitely skyrocketed, and it could go even higher if, if Duke makes a deep Final Four run. So that's what I meant about the agendas com- coming out to play. If Zion wants to p- play down the stretch, he should. Yeah. And there's a very good chance that even with all this interest from the NBA level, he still would have go- uh, chosen to go, uh, to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I think from that standpoint, if you're just trying to turn his injury into this uh, you know, kind of reckoning for the NCAA and saying, look, like he's being exploited. He should have been paid. He should have been in the NBA. That's fine. But let's hear from Zion too, because right. I think there's a good chance Zion would have wanted to play this year in Duke. And he can absolutely point to A, B, C, and D and say, this is how this college experience has benefited me. And we shouldn't discount that in this overall conversation. Yeah. And I think that's a really valuable point to make. Um, and And you sort of alluded to it earlier there are just a lot of people who are kind of speaking on zion's behalf here and that sort of rubbed me the wrong way and there was a lot of virtue signaling people jumping out saying you know what i hope this is the last game zion williamson ever plays at duke and and look no one hates the ncaa more than me um 
but I just don't know if they are that like the correlation between Zion this year at Duke and the problems with the NCAA seems a little bit thin to me. And, and I do agree with you that he is going to come out of this more famous than he would have been had he spent the last eight months on the Orlando Magic or the Atlanta Hawks or something. I think he's going to be able to capitalize on the fame that he's built at Duke. Um, and I, for that reason, I, I he should be getting paid at Duke. Um, and as whether he comes back or not, because now he is every bit as famous as he's going to be, and he's he's got nothing left to prove. So I would understand if he wanted to shut it down. Um, but I just think that he's not getting quite as raw a deal as people sometimes imply. Like he's he, again, like you just all you have to do is watch him up close. He's having the time of his life, and uh, it would be cool to see him come back and just play his ass off because that's the other thing. It's like the, the Kawhi thing. I thought about the Kawhi thing. I thought about Anthony Davis and I was like, God, like is everybody just going to be shutting it down and like playing for the next max deal, which I, I know sounds like kind of hot takey, but like it is a little depressing to, to think about sometimes. Well, there's no question. And like, if you take these guys out uh, for extended stretches, if, this becomes a pattern among top 15 players regularly, you know, just kind of punting away seasons as they try to get their angle for their own contracts. That's going to have an impact on the NBA's overall bottom line, right? Like fans tune in to want to watch star players play, not, uh, you know, everybody whines about the strategic resting. I mean, taking a random game off on a back-to-back is nothing compared to having a player of Anthony Davis's caliber or Kawhi Leonard's caliber just check out for multiple months. I mean, that will have an effect on uh, interest in ratings if it continues and gains momentum here kind of going forward. And ultimately, like, that will impact how much money is available to players on those kinds of max deals down the road when they're, you know, trying to carve up, you know, the BRI. I mean, if, if... all these guys aren't playing as often as possible, there's going to be a financial hit there. And so, um, you know, what does this mean for Zion? If he wants to play, he should play. He should That's play. very yeah. simple. You and know, also like, we don't have to tell him whether it, he should play or not. It, it's totally up to him. If he wants to shut it down, I understand. But um, like it, the idea agree. that this is a clear choice strikes me as a little bit short-sighted. I don't know. Yeah. And, and paternalistic yeah. too, right? Like trying to step That's in and a make a decision for, for him. And, and I, and I think he understands. I, I Personally, I think he's smart enough to realize all these forces that are at play here and the opportunity that's available to him, no question. I also think it's pretty straightforward. Yes, he should be pay, paid to play in college. Yes, he should have had the choice to turn pro. Uh, but again, we shouldn't make assumptions you know, based on what those decisions would have been uh, on behalf of him because uh, you know each one of these guys is different. Yeah. Um, you know, whether they feel ready for it. Like one of the most surprising things to me from All-Star Weekend was Shaq trying to sell us on the idea that if he was coming up in today's NBA, he still would go to college for, for three years because he didn't feel like he was ready yeah. uh, You know when he was a freshman. And look, it's easy for him to say that because he doesn't have, what, probably uh, you know $50 million in endorsements staring at him kind of coming straight out of high school. Yep. Uh, but it does show you that these are individual decisions that guys make. And, you know, trying to you know, use Zion to paint the entire system one way is unfair to Zion. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that actually is a good segue. We, I, I want to do two more questions in the last 10 minutes here. The first is from Alex, who says, I just want to know your guys' opinions of lowering the age limit in the NBA from 19 to 18. I'm sure you guys heard what DeMarcus Cousins thinks about college. 
So what do you think? Personally, I believe that if they think they have what it takes to play in, in the NBA at 18, why force high school stars to go to college for one year? It seems unnecessary. So you seem to be in favor of lowering the age limit and kind of letting kids decide what's best for them. Is that correct? Uh, definitely. And just real quick, I mean, Adam Silver has studied this issue for years. He's told us at these press conferences dating back five years, he was going to really deeply study the issue mm -hmm. in conjunction with the Players Association. Last summer, he told us the NBA was ready to make the change. They didn't make the change. So this week when he's coming out and saying, oh, we've made this formal proposal to the union about lowering the age limit, and I'm sure that's going to happen you know, sometime in the not too distant future, just remember that... He, They've been dilly-dallying on this one, right? They've been dragging this along yeah. probably longer than they needed to, and it could have already been implemented, uh, and you know, maybe not in time for Zion, but in time for you know this next wave of, of prospects that are kind of coming down the pipeline. So I think that's really where the, the conversation needs to be framed. It's not like, should this happen or should this not happen? It's, all right, these guys have already sort of determined that it's going to happen. The question is, uh, when? Right. I just look at it from a pretty simple standpoint of, if an 18-year-old guy is ready, and frankly, I don't even think they have to be 18. I'm actually in favor of if if NBA players or if basketball players are deemed ready to be draft uh, quality by NBA teams, they should be allowed to be drafted and there shouldn't be any barriers in the way. To me, it's kind of a simple moral issue. It's the opportunity to, to make a living. Uh -huh. I know it's not quite that simple of a conversation. There's more layers to it. But that's a perspective uh, that I have. I don't think we should be artificially barring people from being able to make a living. Yeah. Um, if they're, you know, just throw them in the draft. If they don't get drafted, okay, I understand that. Maybe they weren't ready and they've got to find out a, a backup option. But I also think it's important to remember the NBA is not in the same place it was during the last uh, preps to pros era. I mean, keep in mind the buildup of all the G League teams, the implementation of these two-way contracts, the amount of resources that teams are spending on developing talent uh, that they've already got on their rosters now is just much different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. To me, the key for making the reduced age limit work is to have very accurate, honest, upfront information available to these high school prospects so that they understand where they're going to be drafted. Uh -huh. And I think at that point, if you're telling a guy, look, you might not make it into the first round and he still wants to, to go into the draft, well, he's taking on that burden of responsibility. And you know, at least he's armed with the information. He's not kind of flying blind. As long as the NBA is doing that, I don't see uh, you know really any major downside to it. There's always going to be cautionary tales. But I think ultimately it's it's better to be focused on uh, creating the most fair and just system for all players rather than trying to pr protect against you know the eight or ten cautionary tales that might exist every year that sort of got a lot of headlines during the previous preps to pros era. Yeah, I mean it, it's a really interesting question. I do think it's a little bit more complicated than it's typically presented as um like in the media these days and, and when people are talking about it on twitter i it may just be s as simple as this is a moral issue if you can play at 18 and I i'm glad you mentioned like i don't know why the age limit would have to be 18 like you could make the argument that a, if a 17 year old can be drafted why are we capping it why are we capping it at 18 like I, and it all of this is a little bit arbitrary sometimes um but the and so so maybe it is a moral issue and, and maybe it's that simple. Um, I do sort of wonder though whether 
people are really thinking this through and thinking about the way it's going to work um, because for every Zion, there are seven or eight guys who are going to go pro and who won't be ready and it won't benefit NBA teams and it won't necessarily benefit those players to lose out on the kind of on-court growth and the emotional growth that takes place in college. And um, look, if they want to go, that's fine. But part of what gives me pause when I think about this is like it's not necessarily a choice for an 18 year old who's projected to go in the top 15 picks like there are so many benefits to getting that early rookie deal started and then there are also so many risks to potentially injuring yourself or potentially harming your draft stock in college like there's just so much on the line that a lot of these guys even if they do want to go to college the financially sane decision is going to be to go to go pro, and um, and I don't know whether that should sort of weigh against making the rule change, or we should just do this because everybody thinks that it's the right moral thing. But I, I think there's a good argument to be made that it won't necessarily help the NBA and it won't necessarily help the kids. Yeah, I mean, I think that. The nuance that gets lost is that a lot of people who are championing reducing the age limit or, or getting rid of it are kind of painting this perfect situation where everything is going to be right in the world and the young players are going to get paid and it's going to be fair and there's not going to be anything wrong with it. And that's not true. But yeah. I do think uh, it's it's a lesser of two evils, right? And I really think that and in hindsight, I think a lot of the attention around the preps to pros um, conversation wound up being around the guys who didn't make it right but there are some real success stories from the preps to pros eras too whether it's lebron dwight howard or whatever else and i think you're going to still have those success stories and possibly even better success stories now that the nba teams are more ready to sort of onboard these players and like put them into kind of construct constructive environments that are going to be able to help them develop uh, as people uh, you know and as players so I, I guess I'm just not as worried as some people about the, um, you know, the, the guys who are say maybe in that like five to fifteen to twenty draft range where like going early could wind up harming them because it's throwing them into deep waters that they're not ready for, yeah. and that you know maybe they, they get a little bit behind the eight ball. Whereas if they had gone to school for one year, they'd be coming out as more polished, like top five players. I just think that the NBA is going to still be viewing those high draft picks. The individual teams will as commodities that they have to really nurture and bring along and i think the the teams are most teams anyways are in better position to do that now than they've ever been previously so it might be a situation where okay you're drafting kids straight out of high school and you're not expecting him to be a big time impact player like a zion would have been right uh, but at least you you've got an idea of how he fits into your overall roster structure and your long-term planning um, and i and i do think that the pressure that teams felt maybe 10 to 15 years ago to just draft high school kids high because, you know, for the sake of their potential, yeah, you know, may not still be there. You know, we see teams all the time drafting guys, you know, late in the first round who are maybe more polished, ready to contribute type players. And I think that those teams are going to be able to weigh the cost benefits of, you know, taking a shot on a guy who could turn into a superstar player, you know, three years from now, uh, but he's not quite there yet. I think teams are going to be more calculated in how they make those decisions. Yeah, maybe. I think you might be giving teams a little bit too much credit there. Uh, but it's just interesting to think about. Because, like, Zion, you can watch him. He could definitely – I agree with whoever told you that he could add 7 to 10 wins to an NBA team right now. I think he's that 
far along physically and um you know even mentally like the way he moves on the court like he he's great now and i think he's going to make an immediate impact next year but you juxtapose the zion experience with the other freshmen that were on the court wednesday night whether it was rj barrett cam reddish Nas Little, who's had a really tough year at UNC, I think all four of those guys would have been lottery picks had they gone pro out of high school. And I'm not sure if going that route would have been best for the NBA, NBA teams, and not and not necessarily best for them either. Um, so, anyways, there's just a lot there, you know. I I I think it's more complicated than people sometimes realize. Um, but it certainly looks like we're going to lower the age limit regardless. Uh, so that's where we're headed. Yeah, and I also just think we already have a lot of young players in the NBA. I mean, I, I think the difference between 18 and 19 is just sort of gets too much attention in terms of guys' basketball growth. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. is already really, really young. Yes. He plays really young in the NBA environment, right? And so... Uh, these are questions that teams have already kind of had to address in terms of how they structure their organizations. Uh, I don't think that, you know, letting guys in, you know, one year younger makes that big of a deal. I do think you're right though. I mean, a guy like RJ Barrett, he could contribute in the NBA right now, but I also think he should have the choice of weighing, like, do I want to be a late lottery pick in the 2018 draft where, okay, maybe I'm coming off the bench for an organization and, Maybe I'm not guaranteed minutes and maybe the team is looking at it as a developmental year. So I spend time in the G League. If he's given all of that information up front by NBA teams saying, look, we don't view you as a top five player. Uh, that's choice A. Choice B is to go be a rock star at Duke. Right. And you're going to come in as a, a top three pick the following year. I don't think it's necessarily a slam dunk choice that he would want to come to the NBA. I think it's become a, a more nuanced decision for these guys. And as long as you're presenting them with accurate information about what their draft stock would be i entrust those guys and the people close to them to make the decisions that's best for them yeah and i think that they should have the opportunity to make those decisions yeah and if that's the case i totally understand making the change i will just kind of have to wait and see how it actually plays out um i think what i'm worried about most is that guys these days are so smart about the way this business works that the only sane decision for any good 18 year old is going to be to go to the nba and i'm not sure whether that will actually benefit them as much as we think um but if if it becomes like we're getting four and five high school players each year and the rest of them are going to college i think that's like an ideal spot for the nba to be if it becomes 10 to 15 high school players in every nba draft then i think it gets a little bit dicier both for the kids and the league um but uh no, and I'm with you for like the very top players. It's so much smarter to get the clock going on the contracts. Yeah. But like let's say you're being projected as a late first round pick. I mean, if you're making the best financial decision uh for yourself and you're getting good advice, and like a guy like RJ Barrett's an interesting example because like his dad's been around basketball, like he's had all this mentorship from Steve Nash and everything else like that, right? Like he could make a decision. He could make an argument that says, look, if you're a top three guy, your rookie contract is significantly higher than if you're, you know, say the 10th pick or the 15th pick last year, you're going to wind up making up that money in terms of having a higher profile, maybe getting a better sneaker deal. If you just take one year to really get yourself, uh, you know, prepared for the league. Like I can see that argument or that conversation going multiple different directions. Um, and there's other players, you know, lottery pick guys like Emmanuel Moutier, um, you know, where 
like his long-term earning for him, like going overseas and then trying to come to the NBA, like that did not pencil out for him at all. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think there's examples on kind of all sides of this conversation where, um, there could be a lot of guys who conclude, look, unless I'm a top five guy, I shouldn't go pro. It's not actually going to be worth it for me. Yeah. Well, and the biggest issue is college stars should be able to get paid. You should be able to sign a deal with Nike that pays you six figures while you're in college. And the only reason any of this is a moral issue is because the NCAA is so screwed up that the only alternative to entering the draft is uh, going and being exploited in college for a year and and dealing with their screwed up. Great rules. point. It's great point. And all my takes are just based on the idea that the NCAA is hopeless and I don't have any like reasonable belief that they're ever going to get their stuff together. Yeah. So everything I'm saying is sort of operating in this pragmatic reality of like, look, the, MB- the NCAA is going to milk you for whatever you're worth. They're never going to really compensate you fairly. And so this is all about how do you get these these quality teenage basketball prospects into the NBA at the right moment and giving them the most options to do so seems like the fairest approach. Yeah, and uh, and maybe it is. It certainly seems like where we're headed. Um, the end of the pod, I do have one question, a hypothetical from a listener named Russell who said, if Zion had been able to go pro out of high school, where would you put him in the 2018 draft knowing what you know now about the draft class? Do you have any thoughts there? Specifically, would you take Zion over Luca? Well, so this is really tricky because if we had gone back to last June, I don't think you can make the case that Zion should be above Luca, right? Like no. the like the coach is saying, like we're basing that off of everything that's happened since then, right? So I think that's kind of unfair hindsight to the GMs involved. Yeah. But if you're asking me going forward, would I rather have Zion or any of these guys in the 2018 class, to me, the only person who was in the conversation with him would be Luca. I would take Zion over Aiton so fast, it's not even funny. <laughs> I take Zion over Bagley. Trey Young is a little bit interesting because, again, you know, I think Trey Young's ceiling is super duper high. Yeah. And the way he plays, it makes building an offense that's going to be really good around him, you know, fairly easy. But I think it basically boils down to Zion versus Luca, and in terms of the types of prospects that I like, you know, the two-way players, uh, the guys who can, you know, function with and without the ball. Uh-huh. I mean, Zion fits my profile a little bit more cleanly than Luca does. So I think I would probably go Zion one, Luca two, Jaron Jackson Jr. three, Trey four. That'd probably be my list. Yeah. Um, but. I understand the the people who would still be on team Luca based on the impact that he's had at such a young age. And the coach who said Zion over Luca was basically making this argument. He's saying if Luca's ceiling is James Harden, because he's just never going to be a big time plus defender consistently over the course of his career, the way he plays, he's not going to be able to be like the best defensive player on a, on a good defense. Uh Uh, Then Zion's ceiling is Giannis because he's capable of not only being the best player on your offense, but he's also capable of being the best player on your defense. And if you're saying, which one of those guys would you have over a 10-year period? Uh, His argument was you'd take Giannis over Harden, so therefore you'd take Zion over Luka. I found that pretty persuasive. Wow. Um, Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. Comparing Zion to Giannis, uh, if we're we're going by the open floor rubric, they— that's basically comparing Zion to Michael Jordan. And I don't know. It's a little early for that. Um, 
the transitive property. No, I'm not. And I'm not going that far. I'm not even going to say he's going to be as good as Giannis. But I guess the idea is that would be his mold, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and I a guy who that. could be the best player on your offense and the best player on your defense. That's definitely possible for him, right? Yeah, and I just pulled up the 2018 NBA draft, and um, I'm looking at it now. I think had had you added Zion to the draft pool last spring, and it was the Zion we knew then versus like the monster that he has turned into since because he I think the the biggest change this year has been realizing just how skilled he is and just how much of his strength translates against elite competition at the at the college level and will probably translate in the pros none of which was a certainty back in high school when he was playing against like 510 kids um but if you so if you had added him back then I think he would have gone sixth toward the Orlando Magic, where they probably would have taken him over Mo Bamba, which hasn't worked out very well. Um, now, if we were redrafting, I would probably still take Jaron Jackson Jr., number one. I would take Luka, number two, and then Zion, three. The thing I worry about with Zion, and it's not this is not a reaction to Wednesday night, there's just like so much mass for him. Like He's almost 300 pounds he's jumping 45 inches in the air every time and uh i do worry about the knees a little bit but like if you could guarantee me that he was going to be healthy for 10 or 15 years i i think i would take zion over anybody yeah i mean it's it's kind of like the porzingis uh analysis too where like you can love everything about his game in theory yeah but there's that nagging question in the background of like, okay, his physique is what makes him great, but it could also wind up being his undoing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fair knock on Zion. And again, that's even before this, you know, kind of fluky knee sprain, which, you know, to me, that's, that was yeah, that's not really like a, a data a point deal. to use. Right. But it's more like, okay, you've got this guy who is 285 pounds and he can basically dunk from the free throw line and can almost shatter a backboard on any given possession. Like, that is freakish in a way that gets you really excited and titillated. Right. But it's also freakish in a way that makes you think like, you know, one play going wrong, like uh, in a Derrick Rose type way could be a complete career changer for him. And he may not be able to prevent that from happening based on the way he plays. Yeah. Um, And we'll see. Let's knock on wood. Let's hope for 15 years of healthy Zion uh, because he is just – Look, incredible. Like you got, you got a lot of good stuff on in terms of comparisons for him. Um, the one thing that I was told earlier Wednesday, I was like, "What's your comp for Zion?" Talking to an NBA scout, and he said, "All right, so I'm gonna say Draymond Green with a rocket up his ass," and uh, and I think that's what Zion <laughs> has been. Um, and the the one thing that has caught me off guard in, in some of these conversations with scouts is like. They see the game much better than I do, and everybody is so high on his defensive potential, and that was my worry coming into the year, but a lot of people think he's going to be able to guard one through five and really stay with people. He doesn't have the length of a guy like Draymond, but um, they see him being able to switch really effectively. He's got great feet, and he he is such an explosive and quick jumper that he's got very Draymond-like rim protection abilities. The main difference I see between him and Draymond is just the willingness to go downhill towards the hoop. You know, I mean, Draymond is great at bringing the ball up in transition and sort of finding 
uh, the open shooter, you know, like he's such he's been such a great weapon, especially a couple of years ago when he really did it more yeah. of like grabbing that rebound and going. The thing with with uh, Zion is he's got that like Giannis rim seeking ability where it's like he gets into transition. He's not trying to set up a corner three for his teammate. He's trying to dunk over three guys. And, you know, he does that in the half court even too. I mean, he's just sort of wired yeah. with uh, a little bit more alpha on offense. So well, that would be the one di- difference I'd see. And- but Draymond was one of the first names that popped up when I was first seeing uh, his game tape too. I mean, I think it's a it's a solid comparison. Other people have said LeBron, Giannis, Larry Johnson, Barkley. I, mean, I definitely see some Barkley there as well. Uh, but this is all like, you know, very – high quality company and even Barkley was like look Zion Barkley like flat out told us he's like Zion's more explosive than I was yeah. like don't get it twisted you know well and I think the extra attacking from Zion that's where the rocket up his ass comes in with the Draymond comparison um but it's gonna be wild I can't wait to see what he turns into I thank you for the open floor field trip over the last week or so um and uh, it's actually my birthday today, and I can think of no better way to spend my birthday than podcasting with you for an hour, reliving that ridiculous night. Um, and now I am ready to go drink another half bottle of cold medicine and hopefully heal up before next week. Yeah, go go start tipping some NyQuil. Have a good time, <laughs> big time party. Uh, glad you made it home in one piece. You know, we got a lot of uh, questions about the road trip, just so everyone knows. We made it through, you know, completely fine. I had a little bit of a meltdown driving through Duke's campus because they had no parking. <laughs> Andrew, uh, Andrew, very carefully, uh, you know, massaged my uh, anger, and we made our way through it thanks to the help of a gigantic burrito for lunch. It was actually incredible. Uh, you which, were so grumpy for about thirty minutes. Duke had a, a, a tricky parking situation, and we were driving <laughs> around. Ben was very down on the Duke campus layout, but uh, we made it. You know, all part of the adventure. No, it was. Um, and I also want to know, just as a teaser, Andrew, because I know you don't have enough energy right now for the lantern. But next week, we've got an epic lantern coming on next week's first episode because I asked everyone, what's the coolest pilgrimage you've been on? And we got some just heater responses from all over the globe of the crazy things people have done for sporting events and for life events. So we're going to dig into that uh, on next week's episode. Uh, tying in with, of course, our own pilgrimage to Wilmington, which you know really brought tears to my eyes, and it was just a fantastic <laughs> time. Andrew, people can email us at openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Give us all your NBA questions for the stretch run. Give us your takes on Zion, what it means for the age limit. We'd love to hear that um, as well. Don't forget, check us out on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review tap five stars don't forget check me out on instagram at ben oliver hey andrew i've got great news for you that barack obama photo that you mentioned set an all-time instagram record for likes for yours truly i, I reached a new <laughs> high water threshold uh so that felt great wow that's uh, a high water and- mark for barack too he can add that to his resume Look, honestly, it's a high water mark for Instagram too. I mean, they should be really just <laughs> thrilled by that. Uh, it was just win, win, win all around for everybody. Uh, Andrew, uh, don't forget, we're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. Until next week, when I'm hoping you're going to be feeling better and fully recovered from our incredible take over the world open road adventure, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs>